without warning. This is the motto of the 2nd Commando Regiment, a special forces unit within the Australian military. I have two guests on for this week's podcast. Ben McKelvey, the author of The Commando, The Life and Death of Cameron Beard, and Eddie Robinson, who is a retired 2nd Commando soldier and one of Cameron Beard's closest friends. Cameron Beard is one of Australia's most highly decorated soldiers as he was awarded the Victoria Cross. He was killed in the operation for which he received the Victoria Cross on June 22, 2013 in Afghanistan while leading a commando team against a Taliban stronghold. In this book, they go through Cameron's early life and then his, his later life in the military and give you some details and, and insight into a man like uh, Cameron Beard. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I rise uh, uh, to solemnly inform the House in the presence of family and our military chiefs that the 100th Victoria Cross has been awarded to an Australian. Uh, this award is to the late Corporal Cameron Baird, already an iconic figure in our army who had earlier received the Medal of Gallantry. As the citation reads, his Victoria Cross is for most conspicuous acts of valour, extreme devotion to duty, and ultimate self-sacrifice at Gorchak village in Uruzgan province, Afghanistan, as a commando team leader. He was on his fifth Special Forces tour when he was killed in the action for which he was awarded the Victoria Cross. On the 22nd of June last year, in the first phase of the engagement, Corporal Baird and his team came under heavy fire on three separate occasions from well-prepared enemy positions. In the initial encounter, six enemy combatants were killed and weapons caches were captured. In subsequent encounters, Corporal Baird charged enemy positions and neutralised them with grenade and rifle fire. By drawing fire on himself repeatedly, he enabled other members of his team to regain the initiative. In the second phase of the engagement, Corporal Baird then led an assault on an enemy-held compound. On three separate occasions, under heavy fire, he forced the door of a building. Twice he was forced to withdraw, to reload and then to clear his rifle. For the third time, he entered the building, again drawing fire away from his comrades who were able to secure the objective. Tragically, he was killed in this final assault. Madam Speaker, words can hardly do justice to the chaos, confusion and courage that were evident that day. The comrade who was with him testifies. I have witnessed many acts of leadership and courage under enemy fire during my operational service. Corporal Baird's initiative, fearless tenacity and dedication to duty in the face of the enemy were exemplary and an absolute inspiration to the entire team. I was witness to the ultimate sacrifice. Madam Speaker, I salute 
Corporal Cameron Baird, VCMG. We all salute him and his almost equally remarkable comrades. In this place, we don't face danger. So we can hardly claim him as our brother, but we do acclaim him as our hero. We can hardly imagine what the likes of Corporal Baird and his comrades go through, but we stand in awe of their extraordinary courage, the extraordinary courage of these amazing men who serve our country and keep us safe. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with Chantel Taylor. Chantel, what's up? Hey, John. How's it going? It's going. For That's this good. episode, yeah, it's just good. Right? We, um, we've been talking to a lot of Australians lately. It's kind of weird. Um, but for, for this episode, I had the, the um, pleasure of talking with uh, Eddie Robinson, who's been on the podcast before, former Australian commando, and Ben McKelvey. And McKelvey is the author of a book called The Commando, which is coming out today in Australia, I believe. And the the book, The Commando, is about uh, Cameron Beard, who won the Victoria Cross uh, for actions in a in a firefight in Afghanistan. Uh, he was killed in in this operation for which he won the Victoria Cross, and um, you know he's he's one of Australia's most highly decorated soldiers in the history of their military, as he had won some awards prior to that incident. Um, but it, it was a really interesting conversation because uh, Ben McKelvey spent a lot of time with his parents and with. Uh, the friends that he had before he joined the military, and then he spent a lot of time with guys like Eddie, who uh, Eddie Eddie Robinson was best friends with uh, Cameron Beard, and in fact, I think they lived right next to each other uh, for a number of years, and they, you know they hung out a lot and, and everything like that. So uh, it, it was just interesting to to get a uh, a snapshot into the life of a, of a guy like that, uh, you know, who is a Victoria Cross recipient. And um, and he was killed in the action for which he was awarded it. And that's the thing, Joel. I think you know when it comes to the Victoria Cross or the the American equivalent of the Medal of Honor is, you know, unfortunately people do pay the ultimate price because. And I'll, I'll just I'll quote this actually from um, one of the, the history books with reference to the Victoria Cross. The award is especially given to persons who, in the presence of the enemy, display the most conspicuous gallantry a daring or preeminent act of valour or self-sacrifice or extreme devotion to duty. And, you know, when you, when you think about those words and you kind of sum those things up, I think every soldier that's been on the ground would, we always, you know, you don't, you don't sign up for something like the military and, and don't sort of take that stuff seriously. So you all, you all think that if you were in that position, you'd do the same. But there's such a small percentage of these guys that have won a VC that they are different, you know, and there's, there's no, there's no sort of, I don't think there's any 
way around that is that these guys just they go they do something that's it's almost like um they have this this moment in time where they they make a con- conscious decision because i'm sure it's in the it's in the 90 90% you know that that sort of that within that 10% that they're actually going to die in the action that they they do to to be recipients of the victoria cross so if you knowingly do that and in in some cases they do more than that you know it's it's an incredible an incredible award in it you know to have um corporal um, bad story told i think it's, it's extremely important yeah and it's just um and it, it kind of encompasses everything like we were just talking about so many different things outside of just you know the action for which he was awarded the victoria cross like um you know, we uh, for a second we kind of went off track and started talking about Japan. As um, me, Ben, and and Eddie had spent time in Japan, and um, and then we were just talking about the different parallels between like warrior culture. From we hit on Japan, but you could even look at any warrior culture uh, from any point in time. There's what I found is that there's a lot of similarities in the in the mindset and um, and certain things that really you know two different coaches who who didn't even know the other one existed yet if you put some of their teachings side by side it could have been written by the same same kind of people you know it's just really interesting and it's, it's almost like a mindset isn't it it's the way and that mindset especially for the the warriors that that do go on to um, be awarded these these sorts of medals you know their mindset seems to again it's 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 almost at another level, you know, and even, and I refer back to the um, Corporal Brian Budd VC who won the VC on my first tour of Afghanistan. And, you know, I was nowhere near when he won that VC, but the, his citation read, and it was almost, I said, God, if he, you know, he, he ran into an enemy position and, you know, the enemy were found lying dead around him and he'd also um, given his life, but you just, the, the stories that you heard about him before you almost, again, we and I, I, I said it when we um, chatted to Mark that it was no accident because he was such, he was, his attention to detail as a soldier, as a paratrooper was exceptional. So for him to, right. you know, so for him to end up in that situation, he must've thought about all of it and, and said, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And just, and just charged forward. And I, and I remember I wrote a quote about it. He inspired, you know, I like quotes. I, I, especially like Winston Churchill quotes. I'm not quite that good yet, yeah. but, but you know, it's just because they, they mean something. And I remember I, I read the citation and um, I wrote a quote about Bride Bud and it was, um, if, you, if you see the light, ignore it and head toward the darkness and kill everyone. Because that's, I almost feel for that like split second, you know, he, you know, he, he had a, a young family and stuff. And for that split, split second, he had to make a choice and his, right. His choice would then go on to to give his men back the initiative, you know, and they were able to get casualties out and you know all of the other stuff that came after his action. And you just think, I don't know, yeah, he did have to make a con. And he, you know, it's not even like a a drunken decision. You know, we could all, you could all think, oh, there's a there's a fine line when you can make these decisions and they happen. But this is someone you know, stone cold sober on the on the battlefield making a decision that that ends his life. And, and obviously this book that's coming out, I can't, can't wait to read it, is that you're going to, you'll probably get really interesting insights into the sort of character that he was. 
Yeah, and and Ben is a good author. He's he's been doing like journalism and been going to different uh, war zones for a number of years, and um and it was it was good because he he got perspective from uh, Cameron's friends before he joined the army. So he um apparently he could have he was good enough in in uh, uh, football that he could have played professionally, um, right. but he he decided to enlist in the army. So. Um, you know, so just they, you know, he spent a lot of time. I think, I think they said it took like uh, fourteen months or something like that to to get all the uh, interviews and everything together and and put the book out. But you know, like we we were talking about Japan, and when I was in Japan over the summertime, I, I went to this this area in Japan. It's called Kumamoto. It's really like a like really country area in Japan, and. I went to this Buddhist cave. It's called Rigando Cave, and it's it was where uh, one of Japan's most famous samurai from that that era, uh, his name is Masashi Miyamoto, and he wrote this book called The Book of Five Rings. It's it's kind of like on par with The Art of War, and right. um, so it, it's it's just like a you know for people who are interested in that kind of stuff, it's really a really cool place to visit. Yeah. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to visit there and you know, go to the cave and everything. And, and then, um, Eddie goes, Oh yeah. So Cam, he, you know, there was a, uh, I, I, I think he said it was like the biggest Buddhist temple in Australia or, or in, uh, on that part of Australia. And, and that Cam would just kind of go there. Not that he was a Buddhist, but he was just interested in the history and, uh, the teachings and the philosophy of it. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that kind of thing is mentioned in the book or not, but it just just kind of gives you uh, some perspective. Yeah, exactly you know? of, of whether those thoughts, you know, because those teachings are so, you know, the, the so what's what's the word? You know, when they've got they they go back over so many years, is that right? That if 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 you're into that sort of stuff and that's how your sort of mind works, it's quite an interesting um, sort of parallel to. Do you know what I mean? To to, to look at because it's, it's funny you say about being a sportsman because we had another VC winner who was um who was medical corps like me. He was a doctor. He was a double VC winner, and he he oh, was wow. in the, he ran the four hundred meters in the Olympics. And you're like wow, you know. And then then he went on to win two VCs in World War One. You're like that's crazy. Yeah, and and he's but that's what I'm saying. So these these blokes are like where where are they made? Right. It's, because there's got to there's got to be something. I was a I, I had an interesting concept for a, for like a book or a film. I thought it's like a warrior code. Obviously, it'd be fiction, but it was the fact of if there's a gene, you know, that goes through people that potentially. Because I'm not just saying people that were soldiers. I'm saying just the, a warrior kind of mentality of you know it would be quite interesting just to to a sort of check or maybe just make yeah just make it up. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's. You know, like I was saying before, like you you can you can look at any kind of revered like elite warrior uh, culture and in, in history from anywhere, and and there's if you study it, there'll be things that that they did that were almost exactly the same um, without yeah. having no knowledge that the other group existed. You know, yeah, um, so it's gonna be so, something. Yeah, no, I I, I believe it a hundred percent. I mean, there's um, you know, but but then you think. You know, places like uh, like the Middle East, for example, or uh, parts of Europe, 
you know, the, these places have been conquered so many times and so many different armies have walked through and and um and spent time oh. in these places that everyone's yeah. like all mixed up and <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. In fact, well, so let's go back then. So the VC. So how did it come about? So the we spoke about it earlier, the Crimean War. And this is quite an interesting thing. The Crimean War was the first uh, major major war where you had war correspondents in the field. So at this time, you know, it, was, it used to be at this time only senior officers were awarded medals for bravery. And then it was because, and bizarrely, they used to think that it would it would only be the leadership that would ever drive men to victory. But then you have um, the likes of Brian Budd, the likes of uh, Mark Donaldson, and, you know, and Cameron Baird, and these guys, their actions led to victory or led to the change of the battle. You know, I think that that's it has to it has to change the battle. That has to be like a that's one of the the tick boxes. Um, it's, it's, yeah, the, and the, the weird thing is, is they would have tick boxes for a VC, but they have to, and right. uh, and that's where it came about. They basically wanted um, like a an order of merit for distinguished or prominent, you know, personnel or personal gallantry that could be awarded across the entire rank structure, and that's how the VC came about. So it was obviously named after after Vic, Queen Victoria at the time, and. Um, which is quite interesting because it goes back quite a long way. I mean, yeah, the, and it, it's interesting that the um, the Australians really they they you know the, the Victoria Cross started with the British and the Australians have that as well. Kind of interesting. Yeah, well, it was it was um, for for British pers- or British soldiers and um, Commonwealth soldiers. So any Commonwealth. Ah, okay, okay. So you have um, yeah um, winners in New Zealand and you know so it was Commonwealth countries. Um, but yeah, so again, that was what back in 1854, and there and just sort of to put it in perspective now, there are six, there are six living recipients at this moment in time, and I guess you know, with, thinking about it, the the sort of we I know we won a few in the um, or guys received a few in the Falklands, and then I know Australians received um, a fair few in Vietnam for their part. I mean, because they were. That's almost a, a, another piece of history that people don't sort of know too much about. But the, the Aussies did an awful lot of work in Vietnam. Yeah. And some of the, their little scout teams, I mean, there's some really, really good books out there on that sort of stuff too. Yeah, and the uh, they had a pretty uh, fearsome reputation in Vietnam. I, I, I forgot the exact numbers, but they had like a, a crazy kill-to-death ratio. Um at least it was from what I I saw on something or read it. I don't remember, but I remember that they uh, they really impressed people with the work they were doing in Vietnam. Um, you know, doing like reconnaissance work in a in a jungle. You know, deep behind enemy lines. That's just like kind of crazy. Yeah. Really crazy type of stuff. Well, I know. It's, I mean, it's really it's it's incredible, isn't it? And you have, like I said, when you've got. Um, Mel Godfrey Shavas, who's the the double VC one or one of them. There's only three, um, and he is the only the only person in the world to have two VCs on his headstone. To, That's pretty crazy. Yeah, and, and and just to add, I mean, this is how gnarly this bloke was. He also um, received the military cross as well. So he so he had two Victoria crosses and the military cross, all for World War World War One. That's pretty crazy. But I'm, I might actually be mistaken that the MC might have been for the. The Boer War. I'll, I'll, re- I'll recheck that. I'm, I'm sure someone will pick it up. 
But um, yeah, but just to have those three, you just think, well, and and be an Olympian. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because so he he fought in World War One, right? Yeah, he was a, he was a doctor, and he um, I think one of them was for one for the uh, the first day of the Battle of the Somme. Mm. Yeah, they you know looking at World War One. And obviously in World War Two as well, but there were a yeah. lot of like really exceptional people who served in those wars, who, who you know came home either in the U.S. or the U.K. or whatever Australia, and and then they just went on to do really incredible things uh, post military. You know, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and then um, that, that's the thing. I mean, like like you said, the 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 chap you're going to be speaking about, you know, he he paid the ultimate price, but. For the sort of the guys that he saved and the way that he he turned the tide on the battle, you know his um he's forever in in the sort of books of history and, and rightly so. Yeah, he's he's one of the the most highest decorated soldiers in in their their military history. I mean he, um I I don't know the exact name of the the award that's right below the VC in the Australian military. It, it might be the. Uh, I forget the name of it, but he he won another award. I, he he was killed on his fifth tour, so he had a couple, wow. yeah, a couple of deployments and before then. And and what Eddie said was, if obviously this is you know highly classified, but what he said was that uh, there was helmet cam footage of that battle, and if uh, the it's very clear on the on the footage that his actions really made a huge difference. So, um, and that's incredible. That like, yeah. one day that I'd, I'd imagine one day like maybe in 50 years from now if we're still here is um someone's gonna someone will see that footage that'd be quite quite an amazing yeah quite i don't quite tough to watch actually but quite amazing at the same time just to but i remember seeing the documentaries that you know a lot of the time about um you know the australians in afghanistan and they they did some some really sort of gnarly work and i've got you know i've got friends that were on some of those tasks yeah, because they, you know, they brought a um, a special skill set to the table, and it's like when when you're as a commander, when you have a, a unit that has those capabilities, you you want to use them, right? So they, um, you know, they they were given some tough assignments, and and they, you know, they knocked them out. Yeah, and that's and that's the difference again with um another interesting. I don't know if it's an interesting fact about the Victoria Cross, but it only started to be awarded posthumously. Um, after 1902, so you know, because I think they realised that to, in order to in order to tick the boxes to actually get one, you were you were sort of knocking on knocking on the gates of Valhalla. You know, you weren't right. And it wasn't likely you were coming back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's um yeah it's a huge it's a huge award and you know I can't wait to hear the podcast and, and yeah. read the. One thing that Ben said, and and Eddie attested to this, and I know that um, Mark is also friends with uh, Cameron Baird's parents, and they said, um, you know, you you so the things that were said about Cam, you know, he's kind of selfless individual, uh, you know, very friendly and and kind of easily liked. And then they said, if if you really want to just know where he kind of got that from, you just have to meet his parents, and um, they do a lot of work with like military charities and yeah uh you know gold star families oh i'm sorry over here we call them gold star families but uh yeah. the, the families of the fallen um so you know it's it's uh, I can't, 
Yeah, and I can't wait to to get my hands on a copy. I, I believe it's available in hardcover only in uh, Australia and New Zealand, but it's available everywhere else on ebook. So, uh, you know, right. if anyone wants to get it, you can get it digitally. Um, you know, I don't mind because I, I read all my stuff on ebook anyway. So, okay, but and before you go into it, should we do a quick uh, a quick news roundup, John? What's been happening? Oh cool. yeah, we, this, we got a lot going on. Um. You got uh, there was that huge uh, explosion in Somalia. I think three hundred plus killed. Um, right now there's a in, in Iraq, and and we kind of knew this was going to happen. Uh, so there there there's been news reports that um, U.S. backed forces have driven ISIS out of Raqqa and Syria. But on yeah. the flip side, now you have the Iraqi military with their Iranian, um, I don't know if they're Iranian military counterparts or just Iranian militias speeding towards uh, the Kurdish uh, homeland up there in, in, in northern Iraq. And now they're going to have like a big standoff. And from the last thing I, I saw, it, it seemed like the U.S. might stay out of it. So yeah, that's uh, that could get ugly quick, you know. And it and it, it probably will because even um, you know when I was there and I'd spent a bit of time in Erbil, they had they were all almost adamant that they wanted to be separate, which is all well and good, but they're extremely affluent up there in the north, and I don't I just don't I, I can't see that you know the the powers that be in Baghdad saying yeah all good you just you know go and do your own thing you know. I, I just, I just can't see that happening, especially in light of what's what, with what's been going on. There's no, there's no way that they're going to let that happen. And I, I just hope that it doesn't get to a point where it's, you know, that that could just, you know, tip tip that place over the edge. Yeah, and, and that, that's the problem with uh, conflicts like that. And I'm not sure that people are, are really aware of it. You know, a conflict like that could easily spur the next world war. You know, and I doubt. Um, and especially because there's so many different people involved, like the, uh, you know, you have the Iranians who have a huge influence over the Iraqi government and, and they have, they have their ambitions and their plans and, and they want to expand their power in the Middle East. So yeah. if that means pushing the Kurds out, then, you know, maybe that's what they're going to plan to do. But I mean, we'll see what happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm obviously still pushing out the, uh, old, uh, run hide tell theory so we'll see how that oh right you have that um (laughs) we're tweeting at people that aren't responding so that's good really i'm I'm enjoying that yeah i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna put that article so chantel wrote an article about the uh is it like the official policy of the british government what's yeah the british government have started this incentive and they they've got they've brought in some celebrities to to sort of to say I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a rugby player who took down the All Blacks, but I suggest in a terrorist attack you run hide tell. So I'm I'm struggling at the moment, and it's not if you, if you do if you do read the blog, I, I wrote this blog because I thought I usually rant on Facebook, and it which is fine, you know, but this was going to be like a really long rant, and I thought well it might people might not read it all, <laughs> so I thought I'd turn the so I, I tried to do give a an educated view of it, you know, my my actual my thoughts on. And not just to say it's a problem, you know, where where I think that we could learn from our time in in these conflicts. You know, I feel I feel like we've come home, 
and people are, are making up these things with no no idea with, of who they're dealing with. I'm not saying yeah. that about the security services because when you read the article, you'll see exactly what I mean. It's you know they do their job, we've done our job, and then the government sidles in and oh, oh this is a good idea, but I, I don't even know where it's come from because it makes no sense. And then even today, you know they've they've gone so far as to say that you know paramedics are now having trouble finding casualties after after attacks because they're clearly hiding so well. And I'm not I'm not suggesting for a minute because. I just think that you give people options. You know, don't right. make every, don't make our society a society that runs. You know, we're not. Don't make any society a society that that's that's their go-to. You know, it's like it's like even the very basic tactic of taking cover, right? And then assessing what you need to do. You may need to run, but don't just run blindly into what could be a secondary device or a secondary attack. So I'm so I'm I'm, I'm going to stop now because I'm ranting now. But <laughs> yeah. So when read the article, I, I I wrote it when I was relatively calm. So we'll yeah, see. I'm I'm gonna post the article on um, on Global Recon. So if anyone wants to check it out, you can check it out on Global Recon. Just go to the uh, article I, I, section. I welcome feedback, but if you're gonna say it's shit, you've got to say it's shit, and then because you can't just say it's shit and then say nothing. <laughs> right. So if if you write that it's shit and you don't say anything, we're just gonna assume that you're a Russian troll. Yeah, because that's that's military rules, and we always call that. <laughs> I think shit, you've got to say why. <laughs> but yeah, I hope everyone enjoys this podcast because it's um, it's going to be a pleasure reading that book. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the conversation that I had with Ben McKelvey, the author of the Commando, the story of the life of uh, Cameron Beard, uh, Victoria Cross winner from Australia, and. Eddie Robinson, uh, retired commando from Australia, who was best friends with uh, Cameron Beard. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Hey, how are you, man? Good. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad that you guys are on here. So on with me is uh, Eddie Robinson, uh, former commando in the Australian Army. Uh, I'm sure most of the audience is familiar with Eddie as he's been on before. Uh, Eddie, how's it going, brother? Yeah, good, John. Good to be back on with you, man. And then on with us is Ben McKelvey. Uh, ben is an author. Uh, he's done a couple of trips uh, as a war correspondent. Uh, ben, how's it going? Good, mate. Good. All right. So you, you guys, or Ben, you're 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 working on a book, or you've completed a book, and mm-hmm. it has the book is about. Uh, Cameron Beard. Uh, yep. Cam is one of the most decorated soldiers in the, the history of the Australian Army. Uh, he was a commando. He's a recipient of the Victoria Cross. And Eddie, he's also your best friend. So, and obviously, yeah. an incredible human being, uh, accomplished a lot as a soldier in the Australian Army, uh, special ops. Uh, and, and you guys have worked together on this book that is coming out very soon called the commando yeah the book the books um it comes out in a week it comes out on thursday actually um and eddie was uh was an invaluable resource because uh you know i'm john i, I can imagine that you would know this better than anyone um they're a uh they're a they're a very sort of uh close-knit group um any special forces group and that's um that's definitely true of, of second commando as well um and having that first point of contact um was sort of integral. The other thing that was uh, that was really useful with Eddie was that um, Eddie and Cam sort of 
they progressed through their army careers together. Um, you know, there was there was a shape to this book um, in in that uh, the way that the second commando unit was used. Um, it really wasn't used properly uh, as a special forces unit until sort of 2006, Eddie. Would you say? Yeah, I think you know when they the, the guys first went into Afghanistan for special operations task group rotations one, two, and three, and it was probably the third rotation uh, when they really started you know utilizing the unit for what its what its true purpose is, uh, and yeah. obviously that that particular rotation. Um, there were two significant operations, uh, Operation Nile and Operation Perth, in support of global soft units, uh, where, you know, the unit, I think, really sort of started to, to be, become noticed on the international soft stage because they, they were involved in a couple of fairly heavy operations, managed to conduct themselves really well. The, the guys on that particular trip conducted themselves very well. The government, for whatever reason, made the decision then to pull us out, and there was a bit of a, pause, a combat pause there before they put us back in there in 2007. And then, yeah, what you're talking about, Ben, like that trajectory just sort of took off at that point. Yeah, and and you and Cam did that together. You know, you guys were, were on the lines together. You um you you both did um did rotations previous to Afghanistan, and then you went to Afghanistan, and and that's when you know that's when the real fighting started. Yeah, and like I guess to sort of give John a, a bit of a, a background with it, like you know we talked about it previously on the other podcast, but you know, look, I, I was asked by the family, you know, I'm I'm very close with Cam's family, and and you know was before he was killed, and still am, and they sort of asked me, look, would you would you you know this guy we 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 vouch like you know we we give our confidence to this guy to tell Cameron's story, and Ben and I just had a couple of general phone conversations and just sussed each other out a little bit and um i i kind of picked up the vibe that his intentions you know like he, he wanted to just tell the story for what it was it, there was no spin on it or anything like that and we became friends during the process and you know look i yeah i certainly you know and i don't take any credit for it but you know like ben said you know we are pretty close-knit group of guys and I did speak to the other boys involved in the project. Um, some of them are still serving in the unit. And uh, I just said, look, you know, this guy's good to go. He, he's not typical sort of like he's not a, a journalist for some tabloid newspaper or something. He, he actually wants to tell our friend's story and he wants to do justice to his memory. So, you know, and look, you know, that's what we do when we help each other out. And, and the finished product, what Ben's produced is, I think, a really excellent book because it just it's like Cameron was it's a no nonsense you know no sort of like glitz and glamour it just tells the story and yeah it's a it's a really good book so can we so Eddie you know you've been on the podcast before and and some of the listeners will be familiar with you for the listeners who aren't or maybe they're just tuning in can we go through your background briefly and then also can we talk about uh, how you met Cam, maybe? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, look, I'll do a, a brief rundown. So um, I, I joined the, the the Army Reserve in 1997. I went through basic training and then the infantry training, and I was posted to a, a, a reserve unit or like the equivalent of a National Guard unit. From there, I transferred to the regular Army, and I was posted into what was called at the time 4th Battalion Royal Australian Regiment Commando. 
which was a an infantry unit that had been re-rolled as a commando special forces unit. So I did the selection, you know, the special forces entry test, selection process, commando reinforcement cycle, and then deployed to East Timor, left the military for a couple of years, went on the contracting circuit in Iraq, and then re-enlisted at the start of 2007, where I did... Uh, four deployments to Afghanistan and two rotations on the domestic counterterrorism response, which is called uh, Tactical Assault Group East. So that's just that in a nutshell. How I met Cam, when I got posted into 4th Battalion Commando, which ultimately became what is now the 2nd Commando Regiment, so it's the same unit. It just went through a name change in 2009. I got posted into that unit in very early 2000. I was in a company. Most of us were infantry soldiers that had been selected and were being trained for special forces. I came across Cameron. Um, it's a pretty famous story about like, how I, I met Cam. I, I, it involved a boxing tournament in the barracks. I, I'm not going to go into that because it will sort of go in a whole <laughs> different direction. But... Um, but yeah, look, we just we just struck up a friendship straight away. He he was a really um, down to earth, decent bloke. Like he was a big man, like very um, you know he was a he was a tall, athletic, physically imposing kind of guy. But he was just a really genuine, you know. He cared about his mates. He loved soldiering. He loved rock and roll, ACDC. He loved Victoria Bitter, which is I guess our equivalent of. Um, Perhaps blue label or blue ribbon or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Look, he, he was just a good bloke. You know, we deployed to East Timor together, and then our careers pretty much mirrored themselves. He went to Iraq in two thousand and three with a Australian Special Forces Task Group. I I did not deploy on that trip, but when he came back, we discharged at the same time to pursue private security jobs and then yeah we re-enlisted around about the same time we ended up in the same team uh on the same deployment and yeah look you know we're just very close friends and um, yeah look you know i mean i guess i i I feel responsible to a degree to making sure that when i'm asked to with respect to the families like when i'm asked to that i i make sure that you know story of Cameron gets told as as it was or as we knew it and that's how I, I became to met Ben so that's it okay so Cam is also I believe that I read he is the most decorated Australian soldier but I, I don't want to misspeak on that is is that correct he, he's certainly one of okay so he's he's definitely one of the most okay so yeah so Ben, so I was checking out your website and 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 reading some of your story, and I must say it's pretty inspirational to to read about how you had faced some difficulties earlier in your life, and then you'd overcome that and were able to pursue your dreams really with intense intensity and and a passion that is required to do the things that you've done so far. Can we talk about uh, you for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, if you like. Um... 
Yeah, well, what you're referring to is, uh, is a couple of medical issues that I had uh, about 10 years ago. Um, I had a stroke um, and I lost the ability to read and write. Um, and then once I had recovered, um, I had a heart attack and had some open heart surgery and was off my feet for, for a significant amount of time. Um, <clears throat> and both times it sort of made me wonder what I was doing and what I wanted to do. You know, things sort of come into sharp focus when um, – I mean, I'm sure Eddie can speak to this as well. You know, when um, when there is existential threat, um, you really, you know, what's important sort of comes into focus. Um, and after um, I'd been petitioning the Australian Army for a while to do an embed to go to Iraq. Um, previously, I'd just been working as a magazine journalist on stuff that uh, that sort of wasn't as weighty as the stuff that I wanted to do. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You, then, you got to go to the Playboy Mansion, though, didn't you? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most guys, most guys yeah. wouldn't complain about that kind of gig, mate. Yeah, I mean, the, the work I was doing at the time was uh, at a magazine called Ralph, which um, John, it's it would be the closest comparison would be Maxim Magazine. So it was a lot okay. of fun, um, <laughs> but you weren't changing the world, you know. Um, anyway. So I'd had I'd had this heart attack and I'd had this uh, this open heart surgery, and then the defence force finally came back to me and they said, "Okay, you, you're good to go and do an embed uh, in Iraq," um, and I was like, "Shit, what do I do?" And I went to my cardiologist and he said, "What do you, what do you want to do?" And I was I was pretty thin and pretty sick at the time, um, <clears throat> you know. And he said, uh, "He said go do it." He said, "You know, you got to live your life." And I said, "Great," and you know that's been the sort of mantra since. Um, the other, the other thing sort of that I will say is you can't do the story unless you're there, you know, you have to commit, you have to commit, you have to go and do it. You have to be in front of the people, you know, that's, that's the kind of work that I really like to do. That's why I, I really relished and really appreciated the time that Eddie gave me because we had dozens and dozens of hours, uh, of interviews for this book. Um, and that's how you have to do it. You know, that's how you get the soul of the thing. You know, facts is one thing, but um, but being on the ground and you know feeling the dirt and speaking to the people, you know that's that's what you have to do. Yeah, you know, I, I did a podcast with um, uh, Mark Donaldson, who is a, another Australian yeah. Special Forces guy who is a recipient of the Victoria Cross, and, and mm-hmm. I hadn't put out. By the time this goes up, the second part of that conversation will be up, so people would have heard it by then. And we, you know, one thing we talked about in the second half of the of the conversation was him talking about the battle in which he was awarded the Victoria Cross. Yeah. And you know, when you hear about these things, there, at least in the West, or probably in most of the world, there seems to be like a a kind of a very like not glamorous in a way of how it looks, but glamorous in the way that it's portrayed in people's minds. You know, you hear yeah. Victoria Cross or, or Medal of Honor or, or things at at the highest level of, uh, you know, valor for actions in combat, and you think, you know, this is so cool. This guy's badass, and and these guys yeah. are badass, right? But it's one thing that Mark said was in in reality, and this is a question that I had asked him was because guys had said this to me before is a lot of times when you talk to some of these guys uh, like Mark. Who, who have received these awards, they they tend to to feel like they're reliving the worst moment of their life, right? 
Yeah. Because it's, you know, it sounds so cool. You know, you survived this big gunfight and everything. But the reality is a lot of guys got wounded. Some guys were killed and it really changed people's lives in a, in a, and in, in, in often in a, a negative way. But, you know, people, you know, it's just like you made me think of that when you said you have to be there on the ground and like, you know, feel that dirt beneath your feet and, and, yeah. and that kind of thing, just to really understand things and have them in the proper perspective. Well, the, I mean, the interesting thing about um, about Mark's story and about Cam's story and, you know, any any sort of war story is that <clears throat> with the Victoria Cross, what we're doing is we're putting order into something that is essentially disorder. You know, a battle is it's very difficult to uh, understand the important parts of it and, you know, to give it a sort of a shape, as we were talking about earlier. Um, and then once you do that, it becomes commodified as well. So. I can imagine, I wouldn't want to speak for Mark, but I can imagine that he would feel a little bit funny about, you know, this combat situation becoming law, becoming a Wikipedia page, becoming a book, becoming, you know, um, you know, the medals like the Victoria Cross are uh, very useful for the army as well, you know, so it becomes something else, you know, and people's live, lives have been lost and and that makes it kind of difficult but then it is very important to tell these stories as well you know um especially the story of cam you know cam's cam's an exceptional guy and, and did incredible things and it is important to tell people that you know there are people doing these things you know there are people doing these things on our on our behalf as well we often um ben and i have had a few conversations about this and uh you know i've certainly had this same conversation with a few of the boys that i I still speak to regularly and especially the guys that worked with Cam and were in his team is that we, we don't speak for Cam because, you know, it's not our place to, we, we can tell stories about him and, and recount memories. But a lot of us are of the same thinking that if he had lived uh, and they had come to him and said, we want to present you with this award that he would have refused it because uh he, you know, we had to talk him into accepting his medal for gallantry, which which was in 2007. Uh, he, sorry, he, di he didn't really want to accept that award. He thought that it was he wasn't he wasn't somebody who liked being the center of attention or, or in the limelight. And with the Victoria Cross, you know, as has happened with with Mark, you know, that it takes a man from being, you know, an operator in his team to all of a sudden he he becomes public property. Uh, you know, these guys, they, 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 they get put on a, you know, basically like a media, uh, circuit, uh, PR for the military, you know, they have to have elocution, elocution lessons and, and all sorts of, you know, going over to meet the queen in Buckingham palace. And, and I, I think for Cam, that might've been a bit too much, uh, because his sole focus was on war fighting. He, that was what his passion was. And, who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll never know because he's gone. But uh, a lot of us certainly think that he he would have said to them, "Look, no, I don't. I won't accept this award because he just he wouldn't have wanted to have been thrown into that into that what Ben's talking about." I think I think the only reason that he would have accepted it, um, <clears throat> you know, and Eddie would know better than I would be to honour the unit. Um, you know, there's no other yeah. VC recipients in the Second Commando Regiment, um, and it's a great honour. And uh, you know. That that would be the reason that he would would have taken it potentially, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Were you were you on that deployment uh, when he 
was awarded the uh, Victoria Cross, Eddie? No, I, I was. I had left the unit at that stage, but I was in country. I was uh, in Kabul working on a diplomatic security team. So, you know, I was in touch with those boys. That was my old crew. And I actually spoke to Cam about, I think it was about four or five days before he was killed because I, I left country two days before he was killed. And I got held up in Dubai on my way out and I'd spoken to him on Skype and, and I remember the conversation because I, I saw him pop up on Skype and I called him and he was sitting in his bed, like in his bed in the barracks with a laptop. And I said, and see Cam, I've told this story about Cam before, like Cam never bought any like kit. He never bought any Gucci attachments for his rifle. He used to just run with whatever was issued and even to the point where he didn't even have it. Like he had an old laptop from like nine, like 2002 or something at, at one stage and <laughs> I, think it, I think it blew up and he threw it out. And then when I called him on Skype, he answered in his bed space at, uh, at Tarrant Cow and he had, he had a laptop on his lap. And I said, oh, have you bought a laptop? And he's like, yeah, I finally bit the bullet, man. And I'm like, gee, what's going on here? You know? And, yeah. uh, but that was the last conversation I had with him and we, we planned to meet up, but no, like to answer your question, John, I, I, I had left the unit at that stage and I was working, uh, on a diplomatic security team in Kabul. And, and what year was it that, uh, Cam was awarded uh, or the accident took place where he was awarded the Victoria Cross? He was killed on the 22nd of June, 2013, and that was the day in which the operation took place, in which the actions – see, he, he was awarded the, v, the VC for a series of actions that occurred on that day. Okay. Uh, I, I, might, I might let Ben perhaps talk about that for a bit just so you're not hearing my voice the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it does have more authenticity on this stuff, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, Ben, uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, I'll let Ben have a chat about that as well and then I can, I can throw, throw some things in too. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was they, were, they were clearing a valley um, and it was, uh, it was a, a full-on day of gunfighting. There were, there were a lot of engagements um, and the the day ended sadly for Cam when when he was attacking a Taliban stronghold. One of his uh, one of his good mates um, had been shot, and he was a Category A. Um, and so Cam and his team were trying to get to uh, to, to this injured mate. Um, <clears throat> they walked past a building, um, and then they one of the guys uh, doing he was in the the back of the group uh, just saw uh, you know a long thin. Um, rifle barrel pointing at them and they started this engagement um, and they, you know, they, they really had no choice but to engage this stronghold um, and Cam was was relentless attacking this stronghold um, and in doing so lost his life. Yeah, so Cam, at this point, uh, how many years had he been in the army? What, he joined in 99? Yeah, he joined in 99 he he did uh, he discharged in 2004 he re-enlisted in at the end of 2006 and then he was killed in 2013 so he'd been total time in the army was probably about 13 years of full time in the army uh but yeah he'd been in and out since 1999 
Okay, so for Ben, this question is just for you. Yeah. How, how did you end up coming to the to the conclusion that you wanted to tell the story of uh, Cameron Beard? Well, <clears throat> it's interesting that you were talking to Mark Donaldson previously because he did he talk about his book? Uh, yeah, a, a little bit at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> his book, The Crossroads, was um, the best-selling book uh, in Australia that year. Uh, the best-selling nonfiction book. So, you know, that was a real a real coup for, for publishers. Um, and I would imagine that Doug and Kay would have been approached a number of times um, about doing a book, but they just didn't, didn't feel that it was the right time. Um, <clears throat> I had just finished a book uh, called Songs of War Boy last year, which was uh, the story of a, a child soldier in Africa Um he was uh, taken at, at age age of seven and uh, sent to Ethiopia to train as a soldier, and um, he he escaped uh, the the war there, the the Second Sudanese Civil War, to come to Australia, and he um, taught himself English and has become a lawyer. Anyway, so I'd finished that book, and then <clears throat> once I'd finished that, I was looking for a new project, and my publishers were looking for a new project for me, and that was when Doug and Kay <clears throat> had they'd kind of felt that this was the right time to do it because there'd been some time, you know, uh, it was, it was definitely going to be an onerous thing for, for Cam's friends and, and for them as well doing a book because, you know, you have to ask these questions over and over again and, you know, you're just picking at scabs. So there'd been a bit of time that, uh, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to be too difficult for them, but then it was close enough as well that everybody could remember what had happened. Um, you know, like if I was doing this book 10 years later, it would have been very difficult because even, even, um, you know, sort of 10 years or, or sort of how long has it been? Well, it's, it's 10 years since he got the medal for gallantry, medal for gallantry. You know, there are things that happen in that gunfight where people are just like, oh, I just don't remember. I mean, Eddie, Eddie would speak to that. Eddie has a very good memory of what happened that night and what happened around those times, but give it some more time. And then, you know, you, you sort of might lose that a little bit. So, <clears throat> what happened is that Doug and Kay went to all of the major publishing houses in Sydney and then all the publishing houses presented an author, a marketing plan, you know, a contract, all those sorts of things. And they said, this is how we would do Cam's book. Um, and I was, I was very interested in doing this book. Um, you know, I'd worked with the Australian army previously, uh, as Eddie spoke, I did the you know, special forces training, uh, well, the barrier test, I'd met some of the guys, I, you know, I was, I was really kind of fascinated by, by that and fascinated by Cam's story, especially. Um, and then I was very thankful that, uh, that Doug and Kay chose me and, and off we went. It's a good choice. <laughs> so how long were you working on this book total? Uh, it was probably about 15 months, 15 or 16 months, but <clears throat> One of the issues was getting approval with the guys who were still serving in the army. Um, they all, everybody uh, in the in the second commando regiment has protected identity status, so they can't be identified and they can't be approached for media interviews if they're serving um, without approval. And we had overall approval, but we had to get specific approval for the individual guys, so that took quite a long time. Okay, so you, right, you you okay, so the it's you have to jump through some hoops to get to talk yeah, to people. Yeah. Yeah, and also taking into account the fact that those a lot of those guys are still bouncing back and forth downrange as well. So yeah. it's it, you know it was just a case of getting schedules to line up too. And so you know when you guys decided yeah we're going to do this and you get some the approval 
process, you know, you jump through those yep. hoops. Did you then talk to Cam's parents? Uh, I'd, I'd already spoken to Cam's parents, you know, a couple of times. And then once I got approval, the first thing I did is I got on a plane and went to Gold Coast and, and sat down with them. And, you know, we went through the photos, we went through the letters. Um, that was that was the first thing. And I did that a number of times, you know. Um, they were they were incredible, actually. They it it was obviously a difficult thing for them to do, but they made it as easy for me as possible. You know, like I, I was, I was basically a conduit for them. I was there to to try and tell Cam's story and, and, and do it justice for them. But once I got there, they were like, they tried to make it as easy as possible because, you know, not only because they wanted it to, to be a good representation of, um, of, of their son, but also, you know, they're, they're just good people and they wanted to help me, you know? So Doug and Kay, I can't thank them enough. You know, they've, this never would have been, this book never would have happened without them. Yeah. Doug and Kay, you know, I mean, you can tell why Cameron and his brother, Brendan, you know, turned out the way they did because Doug and Kay are just really decent, genuine Australian, you know, Aussie grassroots people. They're, you know they're simple people, not in not in mindset or anything, but they're just they're just they live a simple life, and you know they've worked hard all their life. They're very, yep. you know, they're very gracious people. That uh, Doug and Kay by proxy, they they give up a lot of their time now to devoted to uh, a charity organisation which was established in Cam's name, and Doug is a dynamo. Like he, he is travelling around all the time addressing schools addressing uh return service league clubs which is like a, a veterans organization down here in australia that supports veterans not just afghanistan veterans but all veterans uh you know people who have served overseas he gives up a lot of his time uh a lot of public speaking and basically just tries to generate uh philanthropic donations to this charity organization which in turn goes back to assist the families of and soldiers that have been affected by service. So, you know, like like his son, he's just a very selfless individual, you know? Yeah, I, I was going to say in, in a lot of situations like that where you have an individual like Cam, you know, all you need to do is look at, you know, who raised him and see where it came from. You know, it's, it's pretty clear. Yeah. And, you know, here in the States, the families of servicemen and women who were killed in combat are called gold star families. Is that, do you guys have a similar designation in Australia? No, no, we don't, but um, <clears throat> it's obviously a venerated group. Um, the interesting thing about one of the interesting things about Doug um, and Kay, Doug, especially though, is the sense of purpose that he's got after, after Cam's passing. Um, I write about it in the book. It's, it's, you, you can, People can tend to become uh, untethered um, after they after a, a, a child passes, but Doug was just like, he's like, okay, this is what I have to do. You know, I have to help people who've been in the situation that I've been in, um, and so he just threw himself into it. And that is Cam was a lot like that as well. You know, Cam was just like, next job. If something bad has happened, then what do you do to make things better, or how do you help people? You know, and. Um, yeah, that's that seems to be a uh, a bad truism. Yeah, you see that a lot. I, I notice that a lot amongst uh, combat veterans, and even if they're from different countries, you know, um, you know, soldiers are, are 
have a lot of similar um, traits and qualities. And in the last you know month and a half, the this part of the world has been like really crushed by uh, these kind of natural disasters, hurricanes and earthquakes yeah. and stuff. And you know, there, there's so many ex-American combat veterans who just like picking up, dropping everything they're doing, picking up their stuff and just going to Texas to help out, going to Puerto Rico. I know a bunch of guys in Puerto Rico now. And it, it just seems to be a kind of a common uh, denominator amongst uh, combat veterans, at least from the, the Western nations and, and guys yeah. that I've interacted with, where people are just kind of willing to help out and, and sacrifice. And, you know, that, that much is true about the or how we refer to them as, you know, the gold star families or whether it be a father, mother, um, you know, husband, wife, you know, you, you, you see these qualities in the, the families of these men, you know? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's just wanting to help. I think it's being able to help as well. You know, the, 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 the military mindset, especially in the special forces, you know, in a unit like the commando unit is, is very much, just breaking things down and figuring out what you need to do to progress. Um, you know, as a civilian, you know, just keeping my civilian life on track, I find it difficult, you know, whereas the, these military guys, you know, there's a big, there's, there's a big problem and you break it down to these individual parts and then you're like, okay, let's go and do it. You know? And I sort of found that, um, when I was on Holsworthy, you know, the, the guys are just sort of come in, I'd be doing interviews with uh, guys from camps, um, from Cam's team or, or guys in uh, in his company. And then people would come in and out of offices with sort of problems, and then they would sort of solve these problems in a very sort of pragmatic way. It was, uh, it was interesting to watch, actually. So, Eddie, um, you know, when, when Cam was killed, you were already out of the Army. How much longer were you doing contracting work? Yeah, so that's a funny story, John. I'd, I'd actually uh, resigned from my my job and that was that was my last gig uh i was doing a two two months on one month off rotation at uh the embassy in kabul and yeah i i, I mean again that's why I, I rang up cam just to to organize a catch-up those guys were due to come back uh a few weeks after and cameron and i actually lived in a in a neck suburbs next to each other in sydney so we, we, a bit of a tradition was to always meet up at this pub called the mount annan hotel which is a bit of a blue collar working uh establishment but we used to go there and have a steak and a couple of beers and catch up and i i'd quit and for me that was the whole I guess that whole situation, I mean, I remember it clearly, you know, I mean, I was on a bit of a high because I, I'd made a decision, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to hang up the gun, so to speak, for a while and just, you know, go out and, and, and try my hand at uh, living a, a normal life, whatever that definition is. And I'd resigned, I'd packed up my gear and I got, I got as I said earlier, I got delayed coming out of Afghanistan and I got held over in Dubai and I flew into Sydney very early in the early hours of the 22nd of June and yeah I got the I got the phone call from a friend of mine overseas uh we who, who was at another location in Afghanistan and we sort of had a bit of an arrangement that you know like we had code words and you know if someone had been injured or and yeah, I, I, I remember I'd, I'd got home I'd put my bag down in the hallway I haven't actually unpacked it and 
Uh, I was at a, another friend's place having a beer and I got this phone call and uh, my my buddy basically, you know, he said in in the in the speak that we'd established, he said, you know, Cam Cam Baird's being KIA, and I just, yeah, it was just it's a very difficult thing to explain. I'm happy to talk about it, you know, what I mean, because it, it's it's people need to know, you know, like what you were talking about earlier with Mark and. You know, the, the, the human story behind all of this, you know, I mean, I, I was absolutely devastated, you know, I mean, Cam was one of my closest, you know, best friends and I just got back from the Middle East and I literally got the news, uh, booked a ticket straight up to the Gold Coast to be with Cam's family and at that time the uh, notification was taking place, like so. The military uh, and representatives from the unit were at his parents' place, notifying notifying them of his passing. And I got up there the next morning, and then I linked up with a couple of buddies from the unit that were up there on official duties. And then, yeah, we just we started the process of uh, organising his funeral, uh, organising his service for the at the unit, his repatriation. You know, like the the parts that we could contribute to. And yeah, it was just a very busy two and a half, three weeks. Uh, very emotional, obviously. Um, but we had a chance to say goodbye. And and yeah, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I mean, I'd made the decision to leave the unit. I, I'd i I'd, I'd sort of had my had my time. Um, I I decided to move out into the contracting field for a couple of years. And yeah, it was it was just the progression of things, you know. Um, but Bravo company was that, that's my crew. That was my old crew. And, uh, yeah, you know, I just, I, I was sad that Cam was killed and, and, but I was just glad that the rest of the boys managed to get out of there because it was a pretty, pretty intense day for those guys that day. Yeah. And when was it decided or when did you learn that he was going to be awarded the Victoria Cross? So... The the Victoria Cross Ben can probably back me up here if I if I leave anything out. But the way that the process works, I'm not sure if Mark mentioned it in his podcast uh, for the second part. But it's a it's a secret process. I, I assume it's the same with the Medal of Honor. It's it's so at the time the the field like the the commanders uh, they'll nominate the person. There's a process in which it's written up. It then goes in Australia. We have uh, what's called honours and awards. Uh, it's basically uh, it's it's almost like a, a a group of individuals that are on a board uh, and with military decorations. The majority of them are made up of of you know high ranking military officials and and you know military personnel. And they basically they get presented a submission. They get presented with the evidence backing up the submission and that could be anything from you know witness statements um you know imagery footage whatever and they then deliberate and it was in february 2014 which the announcement was made the initial official announcement and you and you actually included that recording uh on a, on the podcast that we did last time that was uh, the oh, prime yeah. minister Australia at the time, yeah, um, Tony Abbott, who was our Prime Minister at the time, and he he made the announcement in Parliament uh, with Cam's parents involved and the and the military chiefs at the time, and he made the public announcement, which was televised live in Australia. And yeah, that's 
I think for a lot of people, you know, like Cam, Cam was killed. We, we laid him, you know, like we said farewell, we laid him to rest. And, you know, there was a, I think there was a period of time there and where everyone sort of consolidated and, and everyone was going through their own grief processing and, you know, and that's different for everyone. And then all of a sudden, again, in February, it was like, boom. And, you know, Cam's mum talks about it. She, you know, she says uh, in one particular interview, you know, we were just starting to get our lives back together. And then the VC was announced and they were flying down to Canberra and it was all very secret. And and then it just, again, it took on a bit of a life of its own. And I, I guess I'll pass it over to Ben there. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a very it's a very rare thing, um, and it is, <clears throat> it is quite onerous um, being awarded the Victoria Cross. There needs to be a number of witness statements, um, and I think I think the specific wording is that you actually have to change the tide of a battle um, to to be awarded the Victoria Cross. So uh, Cam was the one hundredth Victoria Cross recipient um, in the history of Australian mili- the Australian military, um, and yeah, he's the the most recent. So is there any part of the book that you can share, Ben, or you can share with the audience so they can kind of get an idea of, of what to expect? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll share a story that, uh, that involved Cam and Eddie, actually. Um, one of the chapters that I found most interesting was the first deployment that, uh, that those guys had together in, uh, in Afghanistan, because this probably comes at the midpoint of the book. And then from that from that point, most of the book takes place in Afghanistan after that. Um, but they did this deployment together. Um, and that was actually when Cam was awarded the Medal for Gallantry. The, the chapter ended in uh, – it ended in the death of, of one of their friends, um, but also it ended in, in, in an incredible gunfight. And the interesting thing about that was – from my perspective, it seemed that they were getting a different understanding of what it is to be in a war. You know, Cam had previously been uh, in deployed in Iraq, and Eddie had been in Iraq as a as a PMC. But I don't know this. This seemed like the the it was it was the humanity of of the situation, the existential nature of the situation. It was you know they, they sort of codified into into what 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 they were going to be. There was also some kind of funny times, right, Eddie, when, when you guys were on that deployment? Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, there's one, one story which you touched on in the book, which, I, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll share with you, John. Uh, so we were, <clears throat> we'd done this, this operation. We'd actually uh, been up to uh, Kazura's gun and we'd been up to uh, Firebase Anaconda to support the ODA. And yeah, we'd we'd been up there. Those guys were basically under siege when we got up there, um, and we moved up there. It was about a thirty-hour drive uh, to get up there. We had some difficulties on the way, and then we did what we did up there with those guys, and we moved back. And we had a, a section of uh, seesaw with us, uh, Canadian Special Operations Regiment guys that were attached to us at the time, and and you know they were rolling with us for that that mission and we were driving through an area and uh it was a it was a village that was basically you know it was a small village and and it was along a river and there was one road that was elevated looking down on the river with a number of houses or sorry compounds along it and we sort of got into this choke point and we'd had to stop for a short period of time and and as as it happens over there the, the little kids will come running up to you and 
you know, they're like pen, pen, book, chocolate. You know, they 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 know how to say those words in English because they they've just been used to coalition being in those areas. So we had a we had an ammo liner in the center console of our vehicle, and we had some old pens and um, you know Skittles and M and M's and all that sort of stuff in there, and we'd basically run out of stuff, and. Uh, we had, you know, we had no uh, handy bottles of water to give them or anything. And, and I was sort of rummaging around and I found a, a bottle of, or a couple of little bottles of Tabasco that come in the American <laughs> MREs. And, um, and, you know, these little guys were just, you know, they would, they, they want, they wouldn't leave us alone until we gave them something. So I handed them a couple of bottles of this Tabasco and, um, Cam actually, I, I was driving the vehicle and Cam was, was the vehicle commander and, uh, he was sitting next to me and he just shook his head and he's like, mate, they're not going to like that. You know, and they, they, <laughs> these kids are sort of greedily opening these Tabasco bottles and just tipping it down their, their throats. And they didn't, they didn't seem to be too bothered by it. I don't, I don't I mean, cause they, maybe they eat a lot of spice in their cooking, but they ran off and Cam's like, oh, we're going to be, we're going to get into a big shit fight now. They've probably run off to tell their, tell their brothers and their dads that we gave them hot sauce. <laughs> And then about five minutes later, we get ambushed, and um, and it was a it was a pretty big ambush. Like we were we were receiving uh you know machine gun and RPG fire, and and uh, luckily those Canadian boys that I was telling you about, they 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 managed to get up on top of a hill with a sixty millimeter tube and and started dropping some uh, bombs down, and we we were we were driving along this road to get out of the engagement area, and uh and and Cam. I was driving the vehicle, so it was we were we were in right-hand drive uh, Land Rover surveillance and reconnaissance vehicle. So the open cut, um, you know, open vehicle, no armor, and I'm on the right-hand side driving, looking down onto this into this village area, and and I, you know, we I saw a guy come out with an RPG, and Cam saw him as well, and he he's basically traversed, and he had a um a a mounted a mag 58 machine gun um basically mounted on a uh swivel mount and he swung around and punched it over the bonnet and just you know let let a burst go at this rpg gunner and i didn't have any hearing protection on we had a, a guy i had a guy behind me with a mark 19 and I, I could deal with that with my with my mouth open i could sort of deal with the mark 19 but when cam fired that burst it just deafened me and uh yeah, I won't repeat the language that I used at the time, but it's, it's in it's in the book. If you want to read about it, you can read it in the book. But yeah, look, you know, I mean, and that that goes back to what Ben was saying. You know, I mean, it was, um, I mean, looking back on it now, yeah, it was it was a pretty serious situation. You know, luckily none of us were were, were killed, but uh, it, at the time it was a pretty funny situation. You know, we were all laughing about it. I, I don't know whether or not the Tabasco was the actual. I think they were already planning on setting up on us, but. I did cop a bit of shit from the boys because of that when we got back to to our camp. <laughs> guys are blaming you. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> so when, when we were we were off air, and you know, this is kind of slightly off topic, but I feel like it all ties in and it's relevant. Uh, you know, we were talking about Japan, and all three of us has had been to Japan, and uh, I had the I've been fortunate enough that I was able to visit an area called uh, Kumamoto. And Kumamoto is really like a uh, very country and uh, it's not a big city. And we had to take this bus 
uh, you know, we got off the Japan rail line and we had to get on this bus and it was like a 40 minute ride, like into the mountains. And, uh, you know, this bus stops you off and then you got to walk up this, this huge hill. And of course it's like, you know, blazing 95 degrees out. There's no shade or anything. And, uh, we, we went to this Buddhist cave It's called the Wagando cave. And the, it's, it's quite famous for being the location where, uh, I would say just Japan's most famous samurai from the the samurai era, uh, Musashi Miyamoto wrote this book called The Book of Five Rings, and he's, in in this book he talks about. I mean, he I think he wrote it when he was uh, in his sixties, so he was already like you know a retired warrior. He had already made the transition, and you know we were talking about the transition, uh, Eddie, and mm. one of the things that. I found interesting about his take on it. And then also other authors and, and samurais from that period was, you know, they, um, they felt like in order to, you know, kind of complete the evolution of a warrior, you had to kind of find a, a purpose, right? W once you're done with your war fighting days. And a lot of that had to do with, uh, you know, being creative, you know, if, if you wanted to master the, the art of war, then you had to, you know, master painting or, or something like that. And in, in yeah. learning other, other things, then you can truly understand war and, and how to transition. And then we were just talking about, you know, there's a high suicide rate amongst veterans, but in the samurai era, it was almost like a duty for samurais who were shamed or, their master was killed in battle for them to commit a, a ritual suicide. Um, and, and it's just, to me, you know, reading about some of that history and then being able to talk to a guy like yourself and, and then to read about a guy like Cam and, and things like that. There's so many uh, parallels and so many things that are similar, even though these events took place hundreds of years apart, you know? Yeah, look, you know, I mean, I'm happy to discuss the the issues with transition from a personal perspective. You know, I've I've also I've in you know in the last couple of years I've been doing a bit of volunteer work with a an ex service organisation. Um, you know, and and that ESO as it's called is you know the mission statement with that is to assist veterans. Uh, you know, who are struggling or who are transitioning and um you know and also too you know a lot of my buddies from the unit that have, have left the fold now and we we keep in contact and we we basically look out for each other we look after each other um whether that's you know job referrals or even just being on the phone and you know i mean i've i've witnessed over the last couple of years um and even you know obviously since my own experience of of leaving the Leaving the fold of, of being a gunfighter, um, you know, you know, you'll always have that. You'll always have that in your in your soul. Um, you know, you want, that can never be taken away from you. But I think every guy handles it differently, and um, you know, there's a lot of elements there that, you know, it's family, it's friends, it's your social network. Um, you know, and, and even just your own core beliefs on top of the beliefs that you've learnt and, and been trained in. Um, and, yeah, those those aspects of samurai culture, which you're talking about, you know, they weren't just focused on, on fighting and, you know, war fighting. They, you know, they would do their calligraphy and their, um, you know, they'd, they'd make things, their tea ceremonies. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. You know they're you know they're they're performing. You know they they'd hold performances in their villages and entertain each other. They're all of the aspects of their life, like their holistic approach to being a warrior, as opposed to just focusing on killing and 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 being a, a human weapon. You know, like trained in in the martial art. It's it was a more holistic approach, and you know it's it's. Over here now, we have a number of different uh, organisations that do offer those kind of outlets for for veterans, uh, you know, and even guys, I guess, who you know are still serving that do want to perhaps or are transitioning that want to want to. I mean, there's a there's an organisation. I've got a very good friend who who actually um, his thing now is is uh, aerosol aerosol art, like um, graf- not graffiti art, as in um, you know tagging or or anything like that. But he does he gets military photographs and he like fit pictures that are taken of guys downrange and he gets a large print and then he'll use an aerosol can to do a almost like it almost looks like a charcoal picture of that of that image and he he's involved in an organization that promotes um wellness through artistic expression for veterans um <clears throat> there's other organizations where guys you know like they get together and um you know that they'll go rock climbing or i mean I, I i'm a big fan of um of what the boys over there over stateside are doing with um the raider project you know like they get um, you know, Nick at the Raider Project, you know, I follow him on Instagram. They, yeah. they, they get guys together. I know, I know you know him, but, you know, they get guys together and they'll go and, um, you know, they'll do work on a ranch or they'll, you know, they'll go and do some kind of adventure training up in the, you know, with horses and things like that. And, and I, I think, you know, it's hard for guys because I think when you leave the military, and this is documented, you, you do go through an identity crisis. You, you do – you know, you, you, you're not in uniform anymore. You're not, you know, Sergeant Hendricks or, you know, Corporal Robertson or whatever. You know, you, you are just another another guy on the street and you have to learn how to fit into your new place in society as just a regular guy. And, and you'll, you'll always be a, a gunfighter, but you have to find your new place. And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, like I look at it this way, like we, our biggest problem with us is – we are very proud, you know, like, and and are not just Australian guys, but like American. I've got a lot of really good friends that are ex um, US soft guys that I, I talk to regularly, and I and I hang out with when I'm stateside, you know. And we have conversations, and you know, we are proud people. We we we're proud of what we've done and what we've achieved, and and that's that's good, and 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 it's good to be proud, but it it can also be detrimental because I look at it this way: if you're on a patrol and you're climbing up a steep hill. And you can't, you, 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 your buddy behind you, like he loses his footing and he can't get up. What do you do? You put your hand out, you put your hand out to him and he'll reach up and you grab his hand and you pull him up and you get him going again. And that analogy is what we need to apply when we're civilians, you know, like when we become civilians again, we need to, if we see our buddy or if we're struggling, we need to like say to our buddy, Hey man, I'll need you to give me a hand here and, and pick up the phone or, you know, shoot an email or whatever. And once you ask, um, you'll be surprised. You know I mean? I, I went through it myself. I, I had a, there was a period of time where I, I had a bit of a rough time. I, I, I was struggling a bit. Um, I think we all go through it 
And I did. I had to ask for help. And and once I asked for help, it, I, I was blown away by how many people wanted to help me, you know, get get on track and get and get my life, my new life in order. And um, yeah, man. I mean, it's it's a it's an issue that a lot of people put a lot of time and energy into. And and there's a it's horses for courses. You know, I mean, like some guys will do the art. Some guys will want to go on a on a, and work on a ranch and hang out with their buddies and talk. You know, it's just a case of getting veterans together and being able to be comfortable in each other's company again and and start talking and and helping each other. You know, that's that's my take on it. Yeah, and I, you know, kind of um, when I was reading Ben's story. I found it kind of fascinating how he hit this kind of bump in his life early on. And and then, you know, you're at this crossroads and you have to decide, am I going to push through and, and pursue my dreams and my goals and, and work as hard as I can? Or, you know, I can kind of feel sorry for myself and then maybe just take a, a, a easier route, you know? And I think um, for guys when they're getting out, when they hit a point where they're at the crossroad, and they feel like, you know, I can go this route or I can go that route. It's the same kind of mentality. And I feel like, the, you know, once you decide to, to you know, follow your kind of dream and, and walk that path uh, like, like Ben has, then you realize that um, it's like incredibly rewarding and you learn so many things in that process. And especially for soldiers or, or in Ben's case, he had a, a situation where, uh, you know, his life was at risk at a point. And you start to realize that life is short and it's, it's totally worth pursuing your dreams and goals. And, and I think a lot of guys, when they hit that crossroad, it's like you, you lose that sense of purpose, right? Because you, you lived a certain way and, and now you're not living that way anymore. And I just feel like, you know, with the everyday things or small things, if you, you know, do things to the the best of your ability and, and you know, kind of hook up with the right people and things open up for you. And um, Ben, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting, you know, reading about your background and your story and how you overcame some of these obstacles, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that, that I think that sort of feeds to that that was pretty interesting when I um, when I was writing this book was, when when I uh, when I was doing the book, I did it sort of in sequence. So the people I interviewed first and the chapters I wrote first were the you know the first part of Cam's life. So it was the pre-military part of his life. So spent a lot of time with Doug and Kay, and then spent a lot of time with his civilian friends who he used to play football with. Cam was actually an exceptional AFL footballer, um, and probably could have had a professional football career, um, but decided at age eighteen to go and join the army. But the way that those guys related to Cam's death was very different to the way that the soldiers related to Cam's death. Um, because it's not that they didn't feel that it was, you know, a tragedy and, and an incredibly sad thing to happen. They just understood that there is, there is a kind of, um, I don't know, there's, there's kind of a trend transcendence. If you, die doing the thing that you love, you know, like it doesn't make it any less sadder, you know, and, uh, they definitely would have liked for Cam to have, you know, lived a full life, but he, he did die doing something that he knew could potentially kill him. 
um, but something that he loved anyway and dedicated himself wholly to. Um, and I think that the, the military guys sort of realized that it couldn't have necessarily gone out any other way because Cam was always going to attack that stronghold, you know. That's just who he was. That's what he'd been building up to his entire life, you know. He wasn't somebody who was going to shirk that responsibility. Um, and in dying, doing the thing that, that, that he truly loved, that I think within, with, within the guys there was kind of a recognition of that, an understanding of that, which the civilian friends didn't quite understand in the same way. Yeah, I think that's – I mean, that's a whole concept that it's very difficult to uh, – I, I don't know. It's it's very difficult to relay or explain to someone who, in a military sense, you know, I mean, I I, I remember sitting down with, with Cam's mum uh, the day afterwards and, and we had that exact conversation. I said, you know, I, I just have to say that, you know, if – this is he would have wanted to have gone if he, any way he could have gone out. It's this is the way he would have wanted to have gone out with a hot weapon in his hand, you know. And I think, you know, some people might think, well, that's a pretty harsh thing to say to a mother who's just lost her son, but it was the truth. And Cam was a truthful person, you know, and and everyone around him knew, and and his family are like that as well, you know. They what what you see is what you get. And it was true, you know, I Cam, I mean, if some people say that about, you know, race car drivers or, you know, oh, well, if there was any way he would have wanted to have gone out in a car wreck. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But from a military standpoint, um, Ben's right. You know, you, you couldn't really have picked a more fitting, if he was to be killed on operations, that, that particular incident was how he would have chosen to have written his, written his, uh, his story, I guess, and and it, and it, I mean, the hel- there's helmet cam footage of that actual event, and uh, you, you watch Cam's final moments, you know, the, the the lead up to, and yeah, he was he was doing what he was trained to do and what he was good at, and unfortunately, that's the reality of of that that line of work. Doesn't make it any less sad that he's not here anymore. I mean, I'd love to have a beer with him. Uh, but I'll, I'll never be able to do that or will never be able to do that. But he was doing what he loved. And when you talk to people about it and, and it's been helps people, I think through the grief process as well is is understanding that, you know, he was happy when he died, even though it was chaotic, he was happy doing what he was doing. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that concept is underrated. And part of it is because, a lot of people don't I like like everybody knows that we're all going to die someday right but i feel like there is a um a difference from knowing that and then just kind of pushing it to the back of your mind and knowing that and thinking about it and trying to understand it uh more than than on a on a passing type of thought you know and yeah. you know when you think about it like like i said we're all going to die so it's like you know what what greater honor is it or what what better way for the individual than to die doing something that they love to do and in camp's case that is was being a soldier and you know he he died in a way that he lived and it was just absolutely fierce so it's obviously a sad thing you know when you lose somebody and uh, you know especially when it's someone close to you 
but when you if you think about it like like you said Eddie he would have that's how he wanted to go out you know with a, a hot weapon in his hand and it's 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 very honorable to you know to know that he went out that way it's like you you know you you can you can go you're you're crossing the street you get hit by a bus right or, or you can just you know die in your sleep like it's people die in so many different ways and and uh, and so many like easy and kind of simple ways you know but I, I guess for a warrior you know there there isn't a higher a higher honor right than to than to die on the, on the battlefield you know with your brothers and and you know accomplishing the mission you know. And the good thing is uh, he didn't have to hear us talk about him constantly, because, <laughs> as, as, Eddie, as Eddie said previously, you know, he was, a, he was a very humble man. And if he if he'd heard all this, he would have been a little bit embarrassed, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I remember like this is hilarious, John. I mean, this was not um, this was not long after Cam had been awarded the VC posthumously, obviously, and uh, that they announced that he was going to be on a stamp. A, a, a postage stamp and there was a there's a photo of Cameron that they use and it was it was an official um photo we we would go and get these photos taken in our ceremonial outfits and and you got your guys are the same you know and it's basically like the death shot it's a, the shot that gets released if you're killed right, right. and uh, yeah and so this picture of cam i mean the boys the boys used to give him shit about it like that because they so it, it's a very somber picture he's in his ceremonial outfit with his beret and his and his medals and uh but this picture of Cameron is on this postage stamp and I remember when they announced it they're like oh you know um we're going to be honoring the Victoria Cross recipients by this selection of postage stamps and I just I remember talking to a buddy I'm like can you imagine Cam he'd just be laughing at us he would you know he would be just going you dickheads man like I can't believe and and anyway about a week later I got a parcel from a buddy of mine that lives up in Queensland he'd sent me something and I don't know whether he did it deliberately as a as a as a piss take or a joke but he paid for the postage with with all of Cam's stamps and it was about, <laughs> So the stamps are worth about fifty cents, and this postage was like five dollars fifty. So there was like eleven of <laughs> eleven of Cam's stamps on this postage, and I went to the letterbox and I opened it, and I and there's this this parcel with like eleven pictures of Cam in this ceremonial <laughs> outfit. But yeah, I mean, he he would have, I think he would have been, and that goes back to that theme we spoke about at the start with, you know, we will never know whether he would have said yes or no, but now now it's uh it's I guess that choice has been uh, taken. Well, not taken from him, but you know, it's his parents have taken the uh, responsibility of, of representing him uh, now. And yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's important that we we let people know the kind of bloke that he was. And uh, and Ben, you know, I mean, I. I I think Ben's done a great job. You know, it, it can be a tough audience dealing with our guys, like not not because they they want to be um, assholes or anything like that. It's just because of the culture within the military in general of you know not discussing things outside of the group and and especially within the unit and special operations command. You know, what I mean, but it's like when you spoke to Mark. Um, once these guys are awarded this award, they become public property, and their story is told and uh yeah i mean and 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 cam hasn't been able to tell his story and so that's our duty now and and ben has done a a really great job um you know i'm not saying that 
to promote the book, I'm just saying that as a mate, you know, I think he's, we've become friends throughout this process and I, and I know that, you know, he's done Cam justice and it, it's a, it's a really good, uh, it's a good read. So Ben, I had a question for you. So as you're doing this, going through this entire process where you have to, uh, first, you know, you, you read about Cam and, and you get whatever information you can about him on your own. Right. And then you yeah. sit down with his family and with his uh, you know, pre-military friends and his, uh, you know, his parents, his brothers, whatever. And then you talk to guys like Eddie, who he served with, and and some of his other uh, teammates. And then you know, you 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 go through this entire process. It's a long process. It's uh, it takes a lot of time and energy and and thought and care that you have to put into it. So what 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 picture of Cam? has been painted for you from everybody you've talked to and everything you've read and, and learned about, uh, like, like what do you see him as now that this, this entire process is completed for you? Well, it's interesting because when, when somebody passes away, uh, generally uh, people want to paint the, the, the sort of brightest picture of, of this person. Um, and that was certainly the case with, uh, with the high school mates and things like that. But, you know, everybody, you know, has their foibles. Everybody, you know, is kind of good and bad to a certain extent or, or, you know, um, anyway, so we sort of started the process and I was like, okay, well I'm only good sort of getting a, uh, a, a sort of a, a glowing understanding of who this guy is, but that's not that far away from the truth. You know, he was just, he was, what you see is what you get. Um, he was very process oriented. He was, so dedicated to, to, to soldiering and, and the people around him. Um, and that, that, you know, that, that's who he is. That's, that's who he was. You know, he was, <clears throat> you could probably sum Cam's character up. It, it's, it's one of those sorts of things that is, that is, that is very complex and not complex as well. You know, there's a paragraph and you could sort of describe Cam, but then if you got a little deeper, you know, he had, he was a, he was a deep thinker. He's kind of a little bit Eddie and like Eddie in that regard as well. You know, um, on the surface, just process oriented, oriented, sort of soldiering driven, you know, kind of knew what he liked to do, knew what he liked, but then philosophically he's very interesting, you know, like, like Eddie in that regard, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of guys are, you know, in the special operations kind of realm are, are similar in, in that regard where, uh, you know, to do your job, you got to be very dedicated to it. But then, you know, the, uh, I, like I said earlier, when we were talking about like when you kind of reach that crossroad, you know, what do you do next? And you kind of need a sense of purpose and um, and just a deeper understanding of things. Like, you know, we were talking about death, you know, people, th there's so much literature on death in, in the history of, you know, of the world where you can kind of try and have a better understanding of it and then obviously as a a soldier serving in a time of war the possibility of death is much higher than than most other uh, professions or anything that people are doing so I, I just feel like there's something there where it's like there's a, a need to understand and to learn uh, outside of the the fighting part you know yeah i mean one of the things that i found really interesting in the book is that um you know cam Cam was interested in different ways of thinking about about life and philosophy and things like that. And you know, he did have an interest in Eastern philosophy. 
Mm, definitely. Yeah, I mean, he used to he used to go down to the uh, – so just to, to paint a picture for you, John, um, just south of, of Sydney is a small um, – or not a small, but like another industrial-type city called Wollongong. And uh, it's there's a big port there, and and Wollongong is home to um, I think it's the largest Buddhist uh, monastery in the southern hemisphere, and um, I think it's called the Nantian Temple, and it's open to the public. You can you can go down, there. and Cam used to go down there. Like you know he 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 was very interested in in that. Uh, he. I mean he used to drive a a, a bright fire orange hot rod. Um, 1928 High Boy Roadster, and he'd jump in this hot rod and he'd drive down to Wollongong because it was not a far drive. And he he would go down to the to the Buddhist temple and you know spend some time down there. I, I guess you know whether it was reflection or whether it was just out of interest. Um, but he would go down there and uh, he he went he he'd been to Thailand with his brother on a holiday. Um, you know, I mean, and, you know, there were other aspects, you know, Cam, I, I told this story about Cam at his, uh, in his eulogy, you know, I mean, a lot of guys at the unit knew Cam, but they didn't, they didn't know him outside of work that well. And he used to love, uh, you know, he'd love, he had pay-per-view at his house and he'd love putting on, you know, um, a, a football match, you know, like a, or a, or a UFC fight. And, you know, he'd 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 ring up the he'd let the guys know, hey, I'm I'm putting on UFC 100 or whatever. You know, do you want to come around? And you'd turn up to his house, and he would have spent all day like setting the place up. And he, you know, he'd have an esky full of cold beers in the living room, and some, um, you know, plates of you know platters and things like that. And he loved hosting and entertaining people. Um, and you, a lot of guys like, you know, I mean, I used to go around to his house fairly regularly and have a beer and, 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 and talk. And, you know, he had these paintings in his, in his house, uh, you know, of, you know, warriors, you know, he had a, a Scottish Highlander, uh, he had a, um, a Roman, um, a, a, a Roman wrestler yet, like he had a whole heap of different interests. Um, he played the guitar. Um, he thought he was fairly handy with, um, home construction. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, he, aside, as, outside of the military and, and as a person, you know, I mean, he wasn't just a, a, you know, a, a, a soldier and a robot. I mean, he had, the guy had two little terrier dogs, you know, um, one of them was called Eddie and it wasn't named after me. It was named after <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Um, but he had these, he had these two, cause he loved, he loved old school rock, like, you know, um, Van Halen, Iron Maiden, ACDC, Megadeth, like that was, he loved it. And, but he had this little dog called Eddie and oh, I'm not sure, I can't remember what the other one was called, but you know, he loved those little dogs, you know, like that. And to have this huge bloke with these, you'd imagine him having a Doberman or something, but he had these two little tiny Fox Terriers that he loved. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and he just, you know, he was a, he was a he was a good person. Um, you know, he'd give his time to people. Um, he'd always he'd always offer a hand to help someone out. You know, I mean, you hear these stories. Um, I, I guess Ben, do you want to tell the story about um, the recent uh, with the letter that Cam wrote to that young boy on his last deployment? Do you want to yeah. tell that? Story? Yeah, there was a. a- a kid called Campbell Baird, Campbell 
Bird, I think was his name. Um, and he, you know, they wrote to servicemen uh, at school. They were writing to servicemen, and they wrote to uh, one of one of the letters came to Cam. And Cam, I think Eddie, do you know when when Cam said that? It was maybe a week before he was killed, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll have to get. I'll have to confirm it, but it was it was very shortly. Be, I think it was in the last two weeks before he was killed. Yeah, yeah, he, but he, it was. He, yeah, it was an interesting letter. You know, Cam. That, that it sort of it speaks to Cam's personality because, you know, just some random school kid. You don't really have to take that much time. You, you know, it's not necessarily part of the job to to write these letters back. Um, but you know, it was really, it was really thoughtful, the things that Cam wrote, you know, he, he talked a little bit about Afghanistan, about, about the difficulties of, of fighting there. And then, um, he basically just had some advice for this kid saying, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, try and do it the best you can. You know, you're going to be at school for a certain amount of time while you're there. You might as well, you might as well make the most of it. You know, you might as well, you might as well do your best. And, and I think that was sort of Cam's attitude, regardless of what he was doing, whether he was hosting the UFC or whether he was attacking a Taliban stronghold, he was going to do it to the best of his abilities. Yeah. And you know, it, it just kind of circles back to that, you know, that mentality of, you know, whatever it is you do, you do it to the best. Right. And, and, uh, and and I feel like when you live your life that way, things happen that you can't plan for. Like like um, when you give out a certain energy into the universe, it, the universe gives it back to you. And um, it you know it, like there isn't any. I feel like there isn't a secret in life. You know, if, if you want to be successful or uh, you know, and people want different things, but I feel like there's a certain understanding that certain caliber human beings have about life and, and what it means to, to live and to, uh, and then ultimately to die as well. And, you know, like these, these certain characteristics pop up, you, you see it pop up in, in people all throughout time. And, and, you know, just the, the way you guys are talking about Cam, it's just like, you know, that, that box is being checked in my mind. Oh, he, you know, he did, he was into, like, I had no idea he had art, you know, art history kind of stuff, you know, hanging up in his house, you know, or, you know, yeah. like these type of things are just like, it, it, it's a pattern that I see and it's just pops up over and over again. And, you know, there, there really isn't a secret to life. It's just, it's that, you know, it's just work hard and, and, and do right. You know, even when people aren't looking and, and the universe will, will bring that energy back to you, you know? Well, I think one thing that you could potentially take away from the book um, and from, from the way that Cam lived his life. I think part of the commando mentality is uh, just to be in the place that whatever happens, you will be able to adapt to that situation, you know? So they, they train and train and train and train. And then when a situation pops up, like the situation uh, at the end of Cam's life, um, you're ready. And if you apply that to your civilian life as well, you know, you just put yourself in a position that when something comes to you, you are ready for it then, the, you know, that's a real, that's, that's a good way to live your life. You know, that's a good way to live your life emotionally. That's a good way to live your life professionally as well. Um, so I guess that's a little bit of, um, that's a little bit true of what happened when the book came to me as well, was that, you know, I had, I knew a little bit about Afghanistan. I knew a little bit about the Australian army. You know, I knew in a, that stuff in a professional capacity, but I also, you know, in my reading, um, Outside of work, I, I was I was really interested in, in in that conflict and in the Australian Defence Force. So I was in a position to write that book when it came to me. Right, and it just it just happens that way, you know. And um, 
it's yeah. you know you you do these things and it, it just works out for you and um you know even though cam unfortunately was killed like eddie was saying before i mean what you know he he died doing what he loved and and you know telling that to his mother i i think in a way or it should have an, an effect where it's like a calming effect because it's like he he wouldn't have wanted to go out any other way as as a, a guy who's serving in a special operations unit, uh, you know, with multiple deployments. I mean, I, I've heard it from so many guys, like um, mostly American, but you know, they, they've they've said it like there's no higher calling. Like I, w- there's no other way I would rather die. It's either like in my bed, you know, with my family around me when I'm 85, you know, 90 years old, or surrounded by my brothers, you know, in in a in a fight somewhere and and um and, you know and that's just how it is and uh so yeah. so when is the book going to be released it's released next week okay and it's it's going to be available everywhere uh well it's available only in australia and new zealand as uh, a physical product but the audio book and the ebook is available around the world okay and and the easiest place to get it would probably be like amazon or something yep Yep, you'd be able to get the uh, the ebook there, or you'd be able to get an import, um, and the audio book will be on Audible. Awesome, awesome. So you know, it was it was great having you guys on. Uh, it's an honor for me to be able to have you guys on and talk about the story of an individual like uh, Cameron Beard and um, you know Eddie. It's always a good time uh, talking with you, brother. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate everything you guys have done. Um, so, so Eddie or Ben as well. If if anyone in the audience is interested in keeping up with you guys, where can they go to do that online or something? Eddie? Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Look, I, I've got an Instagram account. Uh, it's in my name, Eddie Robertson, uh, but the handle is lowercase fast underscore Eddie underscore zero seven nine. And yeah, look, I'll just, I'll just thanks, John. Thanks for having me on and uh, hosting Ben as well, and and being able to to talk a bit, little bit about this book. But just one thing I do want to say, and uh, you know, like people will notice this on my my Instagram account is is Cam was just one of many uh, commandos from the Second Commando Regiment who who didn't come back from Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, look, you know, I mean, Cam, I guess he he has become a bit of a I'm not going to say a poster boy, but like, you know, he, he is probably the most well-known, but, um, like there's a lot of other guys, um, who had stories and, and lives just like Cam, um, that didn't come home as well. And, and my account, uh, serves to honor those guys as well and tell their stories in, in, in a small, small way as well. And, um, you know, that was something that Cam was big on as well was, you know, like making sure that, um, you know, the, the memories of the other guys that didn't come home, stayed alive and uh yeah so yeah that that's it man and and thanks john I, I love the podcast and it's always a pleasure being on no thank you man yeah i'm i'm on twitter it's ben mckelvey um and i have a, a professional facebook page which is ben mckelvey also but if you're going to follow someone i would uh, follow eddie on instagram it's you know the, the pics are really interesting and his descriptions as well of, of what's going on is uh, it's very well written and very interesting and you know it's it's a good follow there right awesome 
So, uh, so is yours, mate. I, I don't have any pictures <laughs> at the play, Playboy Mansion. Yeah. <laughs> Horses for courses. Depends what you're interested in. If you're interested in, you know, if 15-year-old pictures of me with curly hair at the Playboy Mansion, follow Benny Muck, B-E-N-N-Y-M-C-K. That's my Instagram account. Pictures of you with an afro at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> you saw that one, did you? <laughs> that's, we were that's the best about a white man can do. <laughs> yeah, uh, was it? Eddie sent me a picture of the. I guess you. It was like when you were competing. You were going through that that special forces um, barrier training. Barrier. Yeah. yeah. Um, he sent me that. So I I was looking at your Instagram, and I was like, oh, here's another interesting picture. <laughs> it's like here's Ben <laughs> with an afro with two chicks at the the Playboy Mansion. That was good times. <laughs> that was actually that was actually just before I had the heart attack. Oh wow! <laughs> Too much partying, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was interesting, yeah. actually. I was I went to that party, and then um, I had a couple of months. I went around the world, um, and I went. I finished up in Syria, actually. This was before the war, and then I came home, and then yeah, two days later, I had the uh, I had the heart attack. Wow. What is it with you? What is it with you and and coming back from locations and having these? <laughs> but, but before you go, just tell him about what happened when you came back from Hawaii. Oh man, yeah. So this <laughs> this was relatively recently. I um. I was on an American Airlines flight from uh, LA to Sydney and I started having this like extreme pain in my guts and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on here. So I started, I said to the, uh, to the air hostess, I was like, oh, I'm having a bit of a problem, um, you know, a little bit of pain. Have you got any, you know, Panadol or anything? And then the pain just got worse and worse and worse and the plane had to be diverted. Oh, shit. <laughs> and so everyone ended up having a, uh, a little holiday in, uh, in Hawaii for a couple of days while I went <laughs> okay. and, uh, Attended to my uh, to my inflamed gallbladder. Oh shit! <laughs> yes, I'll be paying uh, for that for a number of years. <laughs> All right, good times, man. Um, yeah. So again, thank you guys. Uh, I really appreciate it, mate. Thanks Pleasure. for the interest. Really appreciate it. It's always good to have Eddie back on the podcast. It was great being able to talk with Ben McKelvey about the process of making this book and being able to sit down with Cam's parents and, and gaining insight from them and uh, Cam's teammates and, and things like that. Um, I look forward to reading the book and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. With that, we'll close it out. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram account is IGRecon. My Facebook account is FBRecon. I'm on Twitter at IG Recon. I'm on LinkedIn, so it's Global Recon. Chantel Taylor is on Instagram at mission underscore critical. Her Facebook page is Battle Worn, the memoir of a combat medic in Afghanistan. Check it out. As always, we encourage you to subscribe, share the episodes with your friends and family, download them, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And that way we can remain at the top of the government and national categories and continue to bring you guys uh, interviews and, and content week after week. So we'll see you in a couple of days with another episode. Peace.